The Essence of Tea, episode 43. Welcome. You are listening to the Essence of Tea podcast, where we share about the world of tea with you. From tea tastings to tea history and culture to tea education, health, and wellness, the Essence of Tea is your tea companion through your personal transformation and growth. I'm your host, Jenny Jie. Now let's get started. Hello, welcome to the Essence of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Jie, and today we have a special guest, Steve Lorch from Table Rock Tea Company from South Carolina. Welcome, Steve. Hello, thanks for having me. So, Steve, um, you've had this tea company in South Carolina, and you, you've had... Um, a lot of well many years developing it and maybe some people don't realize that there are actually quite a few growers in the united states and you've been involved with those other growers and you've networked with them and and i'm fairly new i just am starting a tea farm here in alaska so I'm interested in learning a lot more about you and, and what you've learned through all of your experience. I know you also have a background in the medical field being a surgical nurse, which a lot yep. of people who are into tea are always asking about like the health benefits. But there's so much to tea besides just the um, physiological components of tea that make tea so healthy for us. And sometimes it has to do with that journey um, and our story about tea. So tell me, how did you get started in tea? Yeah. Um, so my wife and I are the founders of an agency called Hydro Missions International. So you can look that up uh, under hydromissions.org or .com. And uh, it's an agency that does water projects all over the world. So water wells, latrines, filters, pumps, that kind of thing. And so um, we ran that agency, uh, we, we founded the agency and ran it for about a decade. Um, it took us to about 30 different countries all over the world. Um, and one of those was Kenya in 2006. We were doing a water well project in an elementary school um, up in Kericho in Kenya's north country uh, where they grow their tea. And, we didn't even drink tea at the time. Uh, my experience with tea, I grew up as an 80s kid in Philadelphia. Uh, my idea of tea was a scoop of nesty crystals in the half gallon <laughs> pitcher, stir it up, and uh, that was it. It was really, truly it. So um, that was the first time we had tea um, pretty much right from the field. I mean, it was probably 90 minutes old. And um, so it was a much different experience. And uh, so we uh, came back to uh, where we were living at the time in a little uh, subdivision in South Carolina. And I bought a little tea plant online. This would have been 2006. So the internet was not what it is today. Um, still couldn't tell you what cultivar it is. We just bought it online, uh, stuck it in the ground and it grew. And then um, years later, when we came out here to buy our farm, uh, we wanted to do a hedgerow. And um, we have a policy on our farm that we don't do anything ornamental only. So it has to have a dual purpose, um, sort of edible landscape, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we wanted to do this. Yes. We wanted to do a hedgerow and this tea plant had been growing in our yard, um, in Malden outside of Greenville, South Carolina at the time. And, uh, so we started figuring out, okay, how many plants do we need? And we kind of figured on the spacing, we needed about four to 500. 
we just started thinking, well, how much does this stuff make in a year? Why don't we start a tea farm? And so we did. And that was it. That was kind of the, it started innocently enough with an ornamental hedgerow and uh, ended up being a, um, yeah, a commercial tea farm. So here we are. So how many years have you been doing this now then? I mean, 2006, um, like, did you start it right yeah, away? Yeah, so, well, we got our, I would say we started our first plants in 2008. We started, we started growing our four to 500 first plants in 2008. Um, so uh, we've been growing for quite a bit of time. Um, and then we started the actual company in 2014. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you have to decide. Um, you know, we always say uh, when we do our tours, that's a big part of our business is doing agritourism. So we always tell people on the tours, you know, we had to answer a few questions. One was, could the tea grow here? Uh, two, could we reproduce it? And three, would it make good tea? If any of the answers were no, uh, then, you know, the venture kind of shuts down pretty quick from there. So um so we it takes a while as you know for a tea plant to mature and all that kind of stuff so it was a good four or five years in the making uh to determine the answers of yes to all those questions and then now we're in full-blown expansion mode so yeah well yeah it and started. it's quite an investment because um yeah. we only ordered like 55 plants and mm -hmm. we're starting in a small greenhouse um our our temperatures are are very different than the rest <laughs> of the country of course that's why we're doing it in a greenhouse because it gets to minus 30 below and when we were looking at the spot it was 30 below actually yeah. so we we're growing i don't know if i told you or not um at a geothermal um re resort i guess you could call it it's at hot springs here china hot springs in fairbanks alaska and they have um the only geothermal power plant in the state and outside one of his first greenhouses bernie carl's greenhouses was actually like in in the dirt you know and then the pipes run under the soil and so year round it actually doesn't freeze there's like no snow on it yeah. you know you can see the green grass at 30 below and then he built a greenhouse over it that's fantastic so we're like well tea needs to you know preferably be in the ground, not sitting in water, not hydroponically, like sure. other sustainable type of Alaskan growers would do, would be sure. doing hydroponics. So sure. it, it'd be a very interesting experiment for sure. And it was yeah. not easy getting all these plants here either. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and I'm surprised you bought the actual plants and didn't uh, germinate from seed or that kind of thing. So, yeah. Well, and we, we bought a bunch of different varietals so we could be able to see um if if they would survive or like you know watching them every week taking notes you know kind of like being a scientist uh -huh. observations <laughs> like is it kind of like wilting a little bit if they're all in the same greenhouse with the same conditions which ones are going to be um yep. reacting a certain way you know like how are yep. their leaves turning you know some trees will even here in alaska like birch trees, for example, there's different types of birch trees, some that grow well in Alaska, yeah. some that grow well in Idaho, but they don't always do the same because of the environment. And sure. so you'll start to see, you know, certain characteristics like, oh, that tree looks really sad. I think it's too hot there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. 
but yeah. yeah. And then you'll see what, which does best for you in there. And, and that, that's the interesting thing about uh, American tea in particular, you know, our climates are so diverse. Um, there's a lot of bandwidth, you know, like, I, like I was telling you earlier, um, we can, we can fluctuate 50 degrees in one day. You know, we can go from, from freezing to, you know, really hot in a greenhouse or whatever, all, all within the span of 24 hours. And so, um, you know, different climates, uh, different tea reacts better. Um, most people are kind of shocked to find out that we grow uh, a Samica variety here. That's what we grow. Um, and so, yeah, that was because we didn't really know that we quote unquote couldn't until we bought our seeds. You know, and this again was back in 2006. Um, we didn't know anything. We bootstrapped the company, you know, from the ground up and we just bought seeds from a supplier online and, I had no idea what they were, you know, at the time. I didn't even know at the time the difference between Sinensis and Asamica. So they did well and and we liked the tea from it. So there you go. <laughs> so do you mostly grow Asamica then? Or is that all of it? Or do you have That's some other? Oh, yeah, wow. Yep. Yeah. Now we grow from seed. So there's genetic variability within that. But uh, yeah, ours are all Asamica. Um, and we have, uh, we have behind our greenhouse, we've got a pretty big commercial greenhouse. It's about 48 by 72. And on the back wall um, outside, we call it the wall of fame. And so we have about uh, 25 different varieties of, of Camellia sinensis from all over the world. Um, but again, like you, same conditions and all that kind of stuff, just to see how they play out. Um, you know, uh, not only do you look at, you know, how well they survive through the climate, um, but you also look at things like branch structure, you know, is this the kind of plant that you want to have rows and rows and rows of how, how hard is this going to be to harvest uh, commercially? Um, and then of course you want it to make tea that you like. I, I tell new growers, you know, there, there's a lot of um, push for different varieties of tea um, because of whatever their cold tolerance or this or that tolerance. Um, but at the end of the day, you should like the tea you're growing. Uh, I think it'd be a hard sell to plant acres and acres of a variety that you decide, I really don't like the way this tastes, you know, that's a hard thing to sell. Um, so I think that's part of when you, you know, one of the questions is, you know, some things to consider when you start up. It takes a while to start up. It takes a while to find the plants that grow well in your area. And then it takes a while to get them to maturity where you can taste the tea from them, you know, and decide, okay, that's the one I want to duplicate versus that one, you know? So, so what categories important. of tea do you produce? Um, do you do yeah. all of the categories or do you just, you know, specialize in mm -hmm. a certain kind? Um, so, so we play to our strengths, um, which is another kind of word of advice to any would be a tea farmer in the US that um, we don't try to duplicate other people's teas, you know, um, we've had people, um, even some pretty educated people uh, come to our farm on a tour and ask us, <laughs> do, do we make a Darjeeling? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, <laughs> <laughs> because Darjeeling makes Darjeeling, you know, like uh, that's like asking Darjeeling if they make a table rocket. No, they don't. Uh, so, you know, because of the way our climate fluctuates, um, 
course, most people are familiar with Charleston tea plantation. Um, that's, you know, the big one that's been around a long time. Well, they're kind of our sister farm, so to speak. I mean, they're on the coast and we're up in the mountains, but the same state, we belong to the same agritourism associations and that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, if you pick two leaves and a bud from Charleston and two leaves and a bud from Table Rock and brought them in the middle into Columbia, South Carolina, processed them the same way, they're going to taste completely different. Yeah. And, um, you know, because of the terror and all of that. So, so we kind of, again, play to the strengths of the climate. So we make all the varieties uh, that we can. So we have a green, we have um, a black, and we have some just different ones kind of in between. Uh, wouldn't necessarily call them, you know, traditional oolongs, but some are, you know, in between. Like we just harvested today for the first time this season. Um, we're making one that we call a dark oolong. We call it bear claw. Um, we're in the mountains. So we kind of, our branding is very uh, Appalachian, you know, we yeah. got a lot of bears here. So we have bear claw. Um, but that uh, ends up having some, um, it's like a black tea, but it uh, milder, smoother, and it has uh, some notes of chocolate, especially if you add cream and sugar to it. Interesting. Um, pop out. Yeah. So, um, and, and it's all just, again, just different processing, how we do it. Um, we make a very unique green tea that really doesn't, um, it's called winter leaf and it's a cold harvested green tea. It's the only one that I know of actually in production. Um, but we actually harvest in the middle of winter under freezing conditions. Um, and it's a very specific part of the plant. Um, there's a specific way that we process it and it can only be done when the temperatures are, are below freezing. So, um, which is not most of the places where they are doing tea because you also lose four months out of the year of growing as well. So, so we make, uh, we make the winter leaf green in February. We make our, our, or other ones that are oxidized in basically the spring and summer. Yeah. So interesting because it's got yeah. to be, well, with the change in sunlight and photosynthesis or lack of photosynthesis, you know, all those times of year change the flavor of the tea mm -hmm. leaf itself. If you were all just to pick them and drink them at the same time because there's other things going on in the environment right. that changes how the juices and the sap and those flavors change or where they, that energy goes in the plant and people don't realize yeah. that. Um, yep. So that, that winter one sounds very, very fascinating. And even that yeah. frost or that coldness, that's typically what you would get, you know, in certain different countries, like in Darjeeling or in China, where it gets cold and freezing and they're looking for a certain characteristic when they're able to pick it at that optimal temperature and mm -hmm. when you tell people like well you know how your tea tastes and how you know the components of the tea vary from season to season because of this and that they're like what they, i mean they're just shocked because they don't think about that is it's actually a living plant that everything in the environment totally matters and you can't say oh always you know Memorial Day, we always pick the tea leaves. No, it's going to change, especially with climate change too. Sure, and um, yeah, like I was telling you earlier, our, our plants this year are a month behind. We look back at our, our notes from last year and uh, we had already harvested twice by this time last wow. year. We just did our first harvest today. So 
yeah, you just kind of have to roll with it. And, um, you know, that's part of it too, with, uh, starting out, whether it's a hobbyist farmer or commercial, you kind of have to learn your own microclimate. Um, so even within, you know, like our County, um, we've got a consortium of growers called the Table Rock Tea Consortium. And so we have, um, other growers that contribute to our, our leaf and all of that. Um, but they may be a half an hour away, but their microclimate may be completely different. You know, they may be in a wind tunnel. They may be in a place that's on the side of the hill that, uh, you know, either gets more rain or less rain, that kind of stuff. We're at the base of a mountain and the weather is almost completely unpredictable, you know, so we, weather forecasts are almost worthless for us. Uh, <laughs> they really are. Uh, so, um, so you just kind of have to stick your head out and go, okay, <laughs> you know, but, you, but that only comes from learning your farm. You know, um, sure. we get a lot of calls. Uh, we, we field a lot of calls. Um, since I, I wrote that book, how to grow and make tea in the U S we, we tend to consult for a lot of, of new growers and that kind of thing. And we get from time to time people that want to buy a farm and run it remotely. You know, like I live up here and I bought a farm down here. And so I'm thinking of doing tea and they're kind of just like farming from afar. Like, you know, want to hire people to, mm -hmm. to work it or whatever. I don't think that's possible very well with tea. Um, I think the plant takes too much attention you know, you just, you, you kind of have to be on site. Does that make sense? Yeah. So. Oh, of course. Of course. Like my husband and I were like, I think we need to invest in a hybrid car because like where, where we're growing the tea is an hour away from here each way, yeah. at least an hour. And yeah. so if I'm driving to it every week, you know, yeah. check on it. Um, there are people yeah. who live on site, but I'm not going to depend on them, you know, and yeah. the weather is completely different there. Than yeah. it is here yeah. in town. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 We live on. We live on site. We actually live in an apartment above our processing facility. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I roll out of bed and I'm, you know, I walk to the greenhouse or walk to the fields and walk down to the processing area. So yeah. So. It's, yeah, uh, but it's very hard to be just like the owner unless you're essentially yeah. like the investor and you're letting the, sure. you know, the manager because this oh, is yeah. how tea farms are done in, in India and you know, other places sure. like that is they'll have the owner, but that owner also has a lot of experience, you know, from the ground up, like sure. years sure. of experience. And sure. so they might be the owner, but they'll hire like the head tea producing manager who lives there on site every day is in their factory, looking at the plants, looking at the weather. I mean, you have to literally look at the leads to know what's going yep. on. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. But um, what do you see the future of tea growing in America to be like? You've been involved in the industry in the U.S. for a while. You know a lot about the history. I'd be interested in, you know, what your, your thoughts about are the history of the U.S., you know, tea growers here. I mean, that's very fascinating. Yeah. So do you want to go back into, like, the history of tea growing in the U.S. Uh, all the way to... I can, sure. I mean, I can. I actually have a, a PowerPoint presentation that I'll do at festivals and, you know, things like that on the history of U.S. tea. Um, and most people don't realize, but, um, the first, um, successful, you could call the first successful commercial attempt at growing tea was actually 1848 
uh, with a guy named Junius Smith. I don't know if he, have you heard of him, Junius Smith? He, oh, uh, I don't think so. I'm not really good with okay. names, though. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so Junius Smith, um, actually, um, his tea farm was right down the road from us about an hour, uh, about an hour away. Oh, wow. Um, in Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah. And so that was pretty neat. I've actually walked around the area looking for old plants. Um, but uh, yeah, without getting too, I mean, you can really, like I said, I have a whole like hour long PowerPoint on the history of UST, but um, it's all small scale. Um, we get uh, asked this question quite often um, just because people either curious or looking to invest or looking to do whatever. And I've always said it's going to be the way of craft wine and beer. Um, yeah. And it has to. Um, there's just no way uh, that you can't do it that way. We're not going to see in the U.S. Um, I'd say it's my opinion, but it's not my first rodeo. I mean, we've had a lot of different companies in manufacturing. We've had a soap company and other ventures throughout the years. And um, I've got a pretty good bead on what the market is. And um, I don't foresee any, you know, several hundred acre farms just rolling out commodity tea from the United States. You know, we're not oh, going to yeah. be mm -hmm. like, I can't, it, it's just impossible. Our land costs are too high. Our labor is too high. Um, we went back to Kenya in 2019 um, to work with some growers there and to learn some tips and kind of do a, an intellectual exchange. And, um, you know, at that time, this is 2019, I think a Kenyan picker was getting $2.50 a day you know, for a 10-hour day, and that was considered a good wage. Well, that isn't going to fly in the United States. Oh, um, yeah, no. <laughs> my, I always joke with people that, that I'll, I'll double them. I'll double your money. You know, if you come and work for me for 10 hours, I'll give you $5, you know. Like, so it just it's just not going to work. Um, so you have to go for artisanal teas. You have to basically shoot for that craft market space. And I truly believe that all of the tea in the U.S. is going to be at most regional. Um, even even a big company like Charleston, which is now owned by Bigelow, that used to be you know uh, owned by Lipton, um, it, you know even they are just regional. Um, I, you can call yourself national because you might have a box or two in California or somewhere, you know that kind of thing. But for the most part, sales are, are going to be regional, local. Um, and, and that's important for people to know because it, so at heart, I'm a brand manager. That's my, my skill set. And so developing your brand, your specific brand is probably the biggest uh, part of the equation as well. Um, when we give our tours to farmers in particular, we give kind of like one tour for tourists and then we give another tour for like people that are in the agricultural side. Um, but I always tell them, you know, it's one thing to grow tea. It's another thing to make tea. Oh, it's yeah. another thing to sell tea. <laughs> and, and, and we have to do all three, you know. And so, you know, that, that's something to consider, you know, how to sell it. The other thing, uh, as far as the future of UST, um, I look at, at there, there aren't many commercial farms, um, you can go online and you can find that a lot of people are growing tea in the U.S., but I kind of define the commercial aspect a little differently. My criteria is 
Have they jumped through all those USDA, FDA hoops to establish a brand to actually sell on a wider level? You know, not not farmers markets, not even an, just an online thing, but, but yeah. are they really pushing to be a brand, right? Um, so there aren't many of us doing that. Um, well, it's a lot of paperwork too, and a lot of um, infrastructure. People don't realize yeah. Um, yeah. liability chain. You know, it, you're working with a produce essentially, right? Mm -hmm. And so sure. that whole liability, people think, oh, I, I can just sell like this. Well, there's a reason why farmers markets are around. It's direct farmer yeah. to consumer. But when you're selling yeah. through third party and the liability is sitting on a shelf somewhere, that's a whole oh, yeah. different game. Yeah. It's a different animal. I mean, we're inspected, but I don't know how many inspectors I have. I lost track, <laughs> you know, but anyway, um, but you know, when you looking at, at doing all those things, um, you know, a big part of, of the, the whole picture is, are you going to be able to sell it? Um, mm -hmm. And so for us, uh, I personally believe in this, I have to give kudos to Charleston for kind of bringing this to the forefront is that in order to make it on a commercial level, um, uh, I think you have to have an agritourism component in place. Um, the, you know, we see thousands of visitors a year. Um, we're in an expansion phase where we're going to be building a cafe visitor center, that kind of thing. And we expect the first year that's open that we'll see about 100,000 visitors. Um, that's a lot of people. Um, so that's a whole people management thing. Um, but that's kind of where you get a lot of your traffic. Um, it's sort of like a farmer's market coming to you. Um, and, and tea farms are enough of a draw to do that. Um, but I think it'd be a hard sell just trying to compete be it online or whatever, as a small scale tea farmer, prices are way high. Um, you know, tea consumers always are looking for something new. Um, so that means that, you know, you got to figure how, how often will you get repeat customers? Um, and you, you, you may get a bunch, but those same customers in that space for a high price tea are also looking for other high price teas, you know, so they're, they're shopping around too. So it's a pretty competitive market. Um, and I think agritourism is a major component of success for a USD farm. That's just my personal opinion. Well, and it makes it more intimate, the relationship more intimate because they want the full experience. I mean, that's why even people in the US go on tea farm tours to sure. Africa or Japan or whatever. They want to know what they're buying um, and it's not about pricing, you know, at that point, because they're looking for something right. special and the same right. story with craft beers, right? It's like supporting yep. that, um, company that started as a mom and pop shop, but then it's local to that region. And then they have their fans and followers and maybe they'll become like a national brand, right. but they're a national brand for that area for like right. Maui brewing company in Hawaii or something like that. It's, exactly. they want to know specifically that, and they're the fans and followers of that. Exactly. Um, and that's, yeah. that's what you have to do when you have so many other expenses that you need to cover in order to sure. stay operational. And I, I yeah. find other tea companies around the world are starting to see that too. There's the commodity side. And then there's those who want to pay their workers more and they're having to change their perspective in marketing. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the way it has to be. And, um, 
what you know fortunately or unfortunately with the us we have no choice you know <laughs> we don't have we don't we don't have the ability to to make tea you know that ends up selling commodity for three dollars a kilo you know what i mean oh, yeah, we no. don't have that ability it's impossible <laughs> it's impossible so um you have to right off the bat look at that kind of market strategy and um i think that's that's something that um hopefully people are doing i think more and more people are, are looking at that but i have met a few that it's like if that's not on your radar there are much <laughs> Much easier ways to make a living than growing and selling tea, I can tell you that. <laughs> so it sounds like you're a, also a very busy person. I mean, you're, it sounds like you have so many interests and you're, are you still a surgical nurse right now? I am, I am. I work full time in an operating room, yeah. And how does and that like fit in with your schedule and your passions, you know, of doing things well? I mean, in branding, that's the thing is you take a lot of pride in developing that sure. company or business mm -hmm. i mean i love branding i always look at brands and i kind of follow along and listen to their story yeah. and i'm like eh, they need a different ceo who's more into this like mission of the brand <laughs> but um oh yeah but for you like how does that balance with being a surgical nurse with working at the tea farm like are you able to have the flexibility or what does that look like in your life and how does that play into how you holistically see things sure so I'm very uh, thankful for my background um, in that. Um, that said, uh, I actually, uh, from the time of its inception, the tea farm, I'm far enough along in my career that I was able to command a pretty good uh, um, situation at the hospital at which I work. Um, so my contract with them is when we have surgery, I'm there. And as soon as that last suture is thrown, I'm out the door. And, uh, and so that's kind of how that works. So, um, and they know that and they're happy about that. Um, so it works out well. It's just a small little, um, I chose this hospital for that reason. Um, now that said, uh, this year we've really uh, ramped things up and I'm probably looking to step out of medicine after 31 years. Uh, about to step out of it in December, I believe. So, um, because things on the farm require much more attention. And, and as you know, we're, we're a co-packer for about 50 other tea and herb companies as well. So um, that part also, you know, just escalated, especially during COVID. So, um, yeah, so it's uh, gonna be a time to step out of a career and, um, you know, but, that's life, you know, chapters, chapters open and close. So how many people are on your team with all the I, things that you, I mean, would you say like full-time team members, you know, sometimes we hire additional yeah. help and that's mm -hmm. that. Sure. So, so right now it's my wife and I, um, and then we have two part-time employees and then, um, for planting this year, I think we hired a seasonal crew of about 12 people to help me plant. Um, but, when we're fully operational, like I said, we're expanding into a cafe and visitor center and all that kind of stuff. We anticipate probably having about um, a dozen full-time employees and then up to maybe twice as many seasonals at that time, you know, as well. So a lot of people. So wow. um, our, yeah, yeah. Our business model is very different. Um, there are some, uh, some growers are kind of looking for um, the automated side of things to try to cut down labor and things like that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, our business model is never that way. Uh, we're all handpicked. So, so I was out picking in the field this morning. Um, and we're going to continue to be that way because from the beginning, we wanted to be an employer. We wanted to bring uh, jobs to this area. And so, so our model has never been um, let's automate this thing so we can run it with four people, you know, or that kind of deal. Um, our model has always been, man, I, I wish we could employ 50 people like that. That's what we want to see. And so, you know, for us, that's why, you know, agritourism is so important as well, because you can command higher price points and, and that kind of thing. And, and basically we want to be a job creator. Um, this area is not uh, the best economically. And so that's something that we've been speaking a lot with the county government about. They absolutely love us because they, they know that we're here to stay and when we're pushing for that. So, so our model has never been uh, to try to just mechanize everything. Um, it's definitely it's definitely so important because y- you are really creating community sustainability sustainability right. with your partnerships of the people you are co-packing and drying for and processing, you know, the other local herb farms that are around there and doing that for them, working in relationship with your community as a business, but also growing the families that are around there by providing jobs and saying, this is a place where we want to have like-minded people who care about agriculture and people and community, which is so, I mean, if, if anything that has COVID has like helped us realize is to open our eyes to like what's important in life. And, yeah. you know, and so some people have moved across the country for whatever reasons. And some other people have like stayed and be, been more innovative and saying, what can I do for my local community? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we're all in it together. So um, I think that's so fascinating because people think of sustainability as like, you know, recycle, reuse or some sometimes but they forget about the community aspects that businesses can be sustainable to create an ecosystem for that location region too. Right. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's where we're headed. You know, (laughs) I mean, it's, it's good. Like we're actually happy when we write checks to our, you know, employees and workers, like my wife and I'll go home and, you know, be like, we, we paid out a lot of money today, didn't we? You know, like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, like, like for us, that's great. Like, uh, you know, we, we had um, uh, part of our model is this Table Rock Tea Consortium. You know, that's also kind of part of the future of it. Um, uh, from the get-go, we've always said that we wanted, um, we wanted this company, this area around Table Rock Park uh, to be known as tea country, like Napa Valley is known for wine. And so um, we want to do that. And what I always tell people is that Na- people don't go to Napa Valley because there's a vineyard. They go there because there's a bunch of vineyards. You know, that's the exactly. point. Yep. Um, so it's, it's a it's a nexus, not not, you know, you have to view it that way, not as a com- competition. And so um, so our model for the consortium is that, you know, we're a commercial grower. We, we our greenhouse. We put out about 25,000 tea plants a year from our greenhouse. So that's, that's what we germinate out and, and grow. So, so we, we plant a bunch of those, we sell to the public and then we have our consortium growers. And so they buy the plants, they own their plants, they own their land. Um, 
we give them expertise. And then when they're ready, they harvest the leaves and we'll buy them. Um, so, so that way, um, this region starts to develop where people are growing tea. Um, if they want to start their own tea company, they're more than welcome to. We don't bind them to anything contractual that they have to sell to us or anything like that. Like I said, they own their stuff outright. Um, but that way it helps us grow. We get more volume without having to invest in the land and that kind of thing. And then we have a bunch of different growers all over the region um, that, you know, we want people from Greenville like, oh, you're going up to Table Rock. It's tea country. Everybody's growing up tea up there. It's beautiful. You know, that's what we want to see. Um, so that model has been working now for about three years. Um, and uh, like I said, we just harvested this weekend. Um, so we had a few of our growers that were ready, you know, that brought, you know, and I was telling Jen, I said, wasn't that great how much we paid out to those guys today? Because it meant they brought tea, you know, like they're having success. So, um, and I think we pay them pretty well uh, for, for doing that. And uh, that's that's how it's sustainable. Is, is At least twice as much as Kenya. <laughs> yeah, significantly more. <laughs> yeah, significantly more. Yeah, prices are, are pretty high, but... Uh, but like I said, we're we're happy to pay it out. You know, it makes us happy when they when they put their tea on the scales and they're like, "Wow, okay, cool, that's a pretty good paycheck." I'm like, "You bet." So, yeah. <laughs> so that's fun. That's fun for me. Fun for me to pay money. You know, but you got to make it to be able to pay it. And so, you know, that's why we want to be a successful tea farm. Um, not not because I have any aspirations to be a wealthy person. I, I have everything I need. It's just that we want to be able to have jobs that pay benefits and all that kind of stuff for people. You know, we want, want that to be a, a lasting legacy. Uh, as you know, these plants are going to outlive us. Oh yeah. So, so, <laughs> so they'll be here long after we're dead and gone. And so how you manage that, um, you know, to me, maybe that's part of also what I consider a uh, commercial tea operation. You know, um, it's one thing if we just wanted, my wife and I wanted to do something just to have our own little income, you know, thing, and then we die and it's over. Um, that's not what this is. This is something that we're building for the future. So, you know, the first rule of business is know how you're going to get out before you get in. Yep. Um, because you're going to get out, whether it's by death or by sale or by handoff or whatever. Um, so we don't have kids. So that's been something that we have been looking at uh, for the last few years is, okay, how are we going to, you know, hand off the, the torch, so to speak, pass the torch to the future? Because um, we won't be here forever you know so you got to think of those things because uh, you don't want your farm bulldozed and turned into a subdivision no. when you, you know <laughs> when you've got tens of thousands of plants that you know how difficult it was to get them growing you know? well then i think about all the people and their jobs and you know being an entrepreneur i'm always thinking about mm -hmm. my staff and i'm yep. like i have to provide a job for them like mm -hmm. We can't have their hours cut, like, you know, because yep. they're depending on it. And and they like working yep. for us for a reason. The company yeah. culture, the mission, yep. or, you know, what it is that they love to do that works hand in hand. Um, yeah. So how can people find out more about you? I bet you're going to be hiring, right? 
So how can right. how can people find out more about you, about your book, about what you do, about your tours? How can people find you? Sure. So tablerocktea.com. Uh, we're we've got a pretty big presence on on the web. Um, the book, How to Grow and Make Tea in the United States. A little bit of a misnomer. It's it's probably more like how to grow and make tea in temperate regions, right? But um, that that title doesn't sell so well. So, <laughs> so, um, so how to grow and make tea in the United States? Uh, it's on its second edition. That's available at Amazon or on our website. Um, and you can learn about um, the connectivity uh, model. Um, I'm sorry, you, uh, the um, the consortium model that's on our website as well. So that, that if that's something that somebody wants to duplicate in their region, I'm happy to help them out up with that. Um, and then, um, yeah, that, that's that's basically it. Um, I did I did a jot on my notes here. One thing I did want to mention is, you know, our background was through Hydro Missions International. Um, so we've always had a charitable um, bend in all of our companies that we've ever done. And Table Rock Tea is no exception. So like 10% of everything that we uh, sell. So of actual 10% of the, the gross revenue uh, goes into this connectivity fund, which actually is going to um, work with small scale tea farmers in developing countries to help them with scholarships and grants to get them started, expertise. And then when they're building up their farm when they're ready to have a product we'll buy that from them and then launch another sub brand wow uh, for that as well so so that's what um what 10 percent of our revenue goes to uh, is our connectivity fund so that's yeah. amazing that's really powerful yeah so it's something that was baked into our dna from the start so uh we're just about to find i think our just about to work with our first farmer hopefully hopefully before 2022 uh but these things take time as you know so yeah for sure well thank you so much for coming on as a guest and for all of you listening out there if you really enjoyed this episode and know anyone who would also enjoy it please share it out with them you can listen to this episode of the essence of tea podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts and we would really appreciate a rating and review if you've enjoyed this and we'll, um, we'll, we'll be here next time. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to check us out online on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can watch us film this podcast live, ask for questions, and maybe win some cool prizes. Don't forget to follow, like, and subscribe to Sipping Streams on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram.